Welcome back to another edition of the Edge Podcast. Publisher Brendan Slaughter from BeaversEdge.com, joined by my new co-host, TJ Matthewson, a BeaversEdge.com writer, been working with us for a little over a year now. TJ, welcome to the pod, man. Excited to uh, start doing uh, these pods with you. Good to be on, Brendan. Good to uh, get to do more of what I naturally do in day-to-day life and talk into a microphone instead of write. So it's more, <laughs> a little bit more up my alley. So this is good. It's uh, it's good to be on. It's good for fall camp to be wrapped up. Those uh, those fall camp days are pretty long. I mean, I know it's long for the players, but it's, it's long for us media too. So you, <laughs> all you listeners try sitting out at, at football practice for four or five days a week for two, <laughs> two-plus hours, talking to coaching players for sometimes an hour like 30 minutes after, and then, you know, you got to go do all the editing and stuff, but those are long days for us too. But now we get into the, uh, you know, the, the, the real content, the regular season, and it goes by in a, in a flash. So we're, uh, we're ready for it. No doubt. And TJ alluded to multiple things there. Obviously uh, today was the last day of fall camp as we're recording this podcast uh, on Tuesday, August 23rd. Uh, today was day 18 of fall camp. The Beavers will uh, take Wednesday, Thursday off and then transition into kind of some bonus Boise State prep uh, as Jonathan Smith uh, alluded to. And then you also mentioned TJ, uh, you've been uh, our boots on the ground for the majority of uh, August, you know, being in fall camp covered for Beavers Edge, the Awesome subscribers at beaversedge.com have gotten a chance to read your, you know, nugget reports and uh, watch the interviews and everything. Before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of fall camp as we're kind of doing that as a wrap up pod this week, just kind of tell me what were your impressions of this fall camp. You know, you obviously got to see a little bit of uh, Oregon State's fall camp last year when you, you know, came to Corvallis. I'm curious kind of what your vibe was, you know, obviously before this you had, you'd seen some fall camps before. So I'm just curious, uh, how, what was your overall impression of this one? Well, I guess you could really you take this away from a lot of the interviews and such. And, you know, I wrote it in the Nugget Report plenty, but uh, my main take was probably just the energy that the defense was able to gain from from Trent Bray and, you know, sort of a relief of of, of having his system in place where they're allowed to to go play how they actually want to play. And their, their play reflected it throughout camp uh, until we got um, not booted, but, you know, they closed camp <laughs> on us on yeah. uh on uh, last week so you know the up until then we had saw the defense the majority of the days dominate and you know the the defense normally does dominate throughout the early parts of camp as well and the first scrimmage both you and I were at it sure. wasn't even really a competition I mean it, the, the offense got to the one yard line one time one time and then <laughs> you know failed on four four straight plays right. on the one yard line so the, the, that energy from the defense, I, I'm, I'm very curious how it's going to carry over to the season. I mean, is, is it enough for Oregon State to be a top half of the Pac-12 defense? Because, right. you know, historically, that's, that's you know, a plus for, for the guys who are able to recruit here. Hey, if we can just get into the top half of the conference, I think there's enough offensive talent there where you, real could, you could realistically look at, you know, a nine-win season. It's something that actually is a substantial improvement here in Jonathan Smith's fifth season season five right um yes right it's, it's right. already yeah. adding, so, up, adding up yeah. quickly isn't it it's five yeah so you know that that's the kind of jump you want to see a coach really taking his fifth season with a program you know 120 guys that he recruited and you know his his offense that he wants in there with brian lindgren and the defense you know that he trusts trent bray to take over you know that that's the kind of jump we got to need and you know the defense i feel like we could both agree that that's the biggest factor because that's the biggest thing that really hasn't been there during Jonathan's tenure. For sure. I mean, uh, again, a lot of, a lot of terrific points and, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because I almost kind of look at this TJ a little bit 
as Jonathan Smith's fourth year? Because does anybody really count 2020 out here out west? No, anyway? no, no, not really. I mean, I mean maybe Oregon State S- did have the Oregon State did have like the plus. I think they were the only Pac-12 team that played every game, right? So yeah. let's, I guess you could take it as that. But regardless, I mean, the travel is weird. There's no fans, et cetera. And it was like, you know, they. It, yeah. I, I'd say one thing of value, they, they, you know, was able to grind out some close games, didn't come up on the right side of a lot of them. But in that case, it's like, hey, we can play with these guys, even if we're at, you know, yeah. a significant talent disadvantage uh, against some teams. So, you know, it, it is. But, you know, we can now say now this is he could this is his fourth full season. But you made the bowl game last year. For the sure. Bowl, <laughs> the bowl game has been made. So now that is the that should be the floor, right? If you're Absolutely. if you want to if you want to be a successful program, the the floor should be bowl game. It should be probably LA bowl because that, that was that was at the bottom ish of the bowl right. lineup, if I remember. So like you know now you go up, and if you believe your talent is better across the board, and your scheme is better with Trent Bray, and you have more explosion at running back, we'll get into all these factors as we as we dive in here. Then yeah. you know eight nine wins and. You know, a higher bowl, a Vegas bowl, a Sun Bowl. You know, uh, maybe maybe you can sneak into the Alamo Bowl if you really, really do well. And hey, you know, right. no one would complain with the Rose Bowl. Got to go win the conference. And it, <laughs> you know, the top of the Pac-12 this year is pretty good uh, with Utah at the top. USC as talented as ever. UCLA very senior laden. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, the the future of the Big Ten is strong in the Pac-12. So <laughs> you gotta well, you gotta look out for that. Yeah, well said. Well, well said, my friend. And you know, it's it's definitely interesting because you know I, I completely agree with you. I think now that the rebuild of sorts is now complete. Now it's about you know it's one of the biggest conversations I've you know posed on Beaver's Edge, you know, other places uh, throughout the last year, and that's just does Oregon State plateau or do they keep building from that point? And I think you know. You know, the good news is after some pretty lean years, the Beavers are in a position now where TJ, even on the off years now, it sh- they'll be in that consideration. I would, you know, for five, six wins at minimum, unlike, you know, some of the years that, you know, we sat through, uh, you know, the beginning of Jonathan's tenure and the end of the previous tenure when, you know, winning more than two, three games a year looked tough. So I think that speaks to Jonathan Smith's ability to build a program. I mean, the fact that, you know, let's look at the opposite. Unlike, you know, a brand new head coach in Eugene that walks into a treasure trove of talent. Yeah. Jonathan oh, Smith, absolutely. when he came to Corvallis was like, oh, is that, uh, that, that the water boy? No, I'm just kidding. But no, I mean, it's. No, it's uh, definitely... Jack, Leto, Jack Leto's getting some reps under center, like, you know, like Right. That. So it was lean. You know, I think they had something like three scholarship defensive linemen. And in a place like Oregon State, you know, you, you have to kind of build year by year with transfer portal additions, you know, great recruiting classes, have some guys that are maybe overlooked a little bit that hit. And I think we've started to see that so far. So I think the program is definitely in a level of kind of sustained success. And, you know, you just brought up a good point. I think it'd be a good time to kind of give what we think our floor and ceiling is for this year. And, you know, the way that I see when I look at the schedule, I see the, the, the floor as being six and six. I think the Beavers are more than capable of getting to a bowl game this year. Uh, and I think the ceiling could be nine and three. Uh, I, I really do think that this year with the amount of seniors that the group has, uh, the amount of experience, if things click, the ball bounces your way. I could really see the Beavers, you know, having a, a pretty good year and arguably their best year since 2012 when they went nine and four and went to the Alamo Bowl. So I would guess that, you know, I, I just watched the interview you posted today, TJ, from from Kyrie Fisher. He's one of my favorite interviews on the team. When he's like, "Oh, he's fabulous. Out. He's he's a great he, talker too." 
Yeah, and he's yeah. just like, we're hungry. We're so hungry for this season. And, you know, I, I it was – I, I imagine he's not the only guy, just from our conversations, talking to the players between the start of the season and now. It seems like there's a lot of kind of – maybe not anger, but just a little bit of frustration with how they lost to Utah State in that bowl game last year. The fact that the Beavers looked really, really good for, like, the first minute of that game and then, mm-hmm. you know, not so much for the rest. You got, you got so, to play all 60. <laughs> right, no kidding. So – I, that's where I see for kind of this season as we kind of will get into some of the bigger storylines, but uh, TJ, where are you, uh, where do you see this group this year? So floor wise, I, w- I would say the floor has to be six. I don't think you can do anything else. Like we said, the rebuild's right. over. So floor should be six wins. If you, if you consider yourself a winner and you're that hungry and you feel like your team is deep enough along the defensive and offensive lines, deep enough at the skill positions, we know they're deep enough at running back. It, have get good enough play from your quarterbacks. I mean, that's, that's what I asked for. And that should get you to six wins. I mean, just looking at the schedule, the ceiling, I agree with you should probably be about nine wins. I spot four games on here that most likely you're going to not mostly, you won't be probably a touchdown plus underdog. Right. Uh, I mean, might not be a touchdown underdog at Fresno state, but that's going to be an incredibly tough environment. It's going to be hot. Central California Valley. Jake Hayner is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Jeff <laughs> yes, is back there uh, as well. And then you have your first two conference games, USC and Utah. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna be tough <laughs> going to Salt Lake City and beating Utah. So I, you know, that might be a two touchdown spread yeah. on that game. So it's gonna be that would be a really tough one. You have you know USC and Lincoln Riley coming here to Research Stadium, but nonetheless, that's not very easy. Even if people don't believe USC isn't quite at that level just the amount of, of talent that Lincoln was able to bring in in yeah. the transfer portal probably should be enough there. And then you scroll down, you know, a November game in at Husky stadium in Washington, it'll be loud. It'll probably be pouring rain. Uh, <laughs> it'll be a, it'll be a real, you know, grind it out, you know, and a, a team like Oregon state with the plethora of running backs they have, and if they're stout along those lines should, you know, could be able yeah. to hold up in that game. But that's another game I look at and it's like, uh, that's really tough. So, you know, you'd think the ceiling should be around yeah. eight and four and nine and three wins. But if you really think, you know, again, if you're a program that needs to take that next step, you should probably hit that ceiling. Right. This year. Right. Or especially how the schedule sets up. Most definitely. I think you hit some some good points on the schedule. And, you know, particularly, you know, it, it's just interesting to see how, like, other than Utah, right? We, we consider Utah to be the class of the Pac-12 this year. Yeah. But or, easily, I think. Right. And Oregon State beat them last year. They were the only team to beat them in conference. So when you have that kind of confidence, I think if you're the Beavers, you go, hey, you know, I'm not saying they're going to win that game in Salt Lake, but I think it just kind of gives you a confidence to know, hey, we measured ourselves up against the best last year. Granted, you know, we had some slip ups looking at you, Colorado and Cal, but yeah, that's but, nine wins, you know, right? Right. So I think more than anything, you know, this year, just being able to build up that confidence is going to be key. And that's where I think, you know, we, I've talked about it on this podcast for, for many years now, the beginning of the season and starting off on a strong note. And I think even back to last year, you know, I, I would like to think that the Oregon State team, you know, when they were playing their best, probably would have beat Purdue, maybe comfortably. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's one of those things where, like, you can't slip up against Boise State. You know, Fresno State's kind of that game that, you know, is out there that, you know, don't get me going on that TJ, because I'll, I'll be the first to tell you that there's nothing to gain from ever going to play in Fresno and a Pac-12 team should never play in 
you know, Fresno or any other, you know, real tough mountain West environment. They got, you know, they, they no. got to come, they got to come to, you know, they got to come to the pack a little bit. And, you know, Oregon state's had some, some, some adventures. The, the old Beaver fans will know what I'm talking about. Some adventures down there in Fresno, but I look at, you know, the non-conference, if they can come out of the non-conference three and O, and I think it's a big, a big if. Um, yeah, that's a tough, you know, that's a tough, it's not last year's non-conference slate. <laughs> no. And the Hawaii, you know, Hawaii when, you know, Fresno state and Montana state is a, is a pretty big step up from uh, Idaho and Hawaii. Certainly. And then you also have to consider that Montana state was in the FCS championship this last year. So it's, it's, you know, Mont- you know, you're not even getting that cupcake FCS team, you know, again, Beaver fans have some, have some memories of those FCS teams. So it's, it, you know, the schedule definitely prepares you for PAC 12 play. If you're going to look at kind of the, the positives of it and you, you know, you alluded to USC, TJ. I'd be willing to bet that USC is not firing on all cylinders with Lincoln Riley by, you know, game three, game four, game five, even. I mean, it might take the whole year. I mean, you know, uh, not to say that USC won't be good this year. I think they have all the ability to be. But, you know, go back and look at, like, what Nick Saban did his first year at Alabama, right? They yeah, went they lost like to Louisiana. They lost to Louisiana Monroe. When you're trying to rebuild that culture as Lincoln is and kind of, you know, don't get me wrong. They will be so good for so long, but if there was a year to beat them, it would be maybe this year. So, you know, yeah. if you could set yourself up three and O going into that USC game, TJ, I, I really think, you know, you could have the makings of a really special season. You know, if you're two and one, it's not the end of the world, but the most important thing is you, ha- I think you have to go two and one in non-conference. Yeah, you have, I mean, that, I think that's bare minimum. And, and going back to that, that you, the USC thing in terms of beating them, it's, when, when Lincoln Riley takes over, it's not like he's taking over one of the most talented rosters in the country. He, he was, he did not. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of work to be there. A lot, a lot of what Clay Helton left behind was um, so far along, especially yeah. along the lines. And you, you'd see it when they play a team in another conference, they just get their ass kicked on, on yeah. the, both, both offensive and defensive lines. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the, the non-conference, it should be minimum two and one. And if you're going to hit your ceiling three, no, it has to be. Uh, you, yeah. You, but- if there's if there's a road game to take, I would again I'd say that Washington road game at the beginning of November and then Fresno State are probably the two road games you, you know that that you're probably not going to be favored in or that you sh- that you probably shouldn't win that you should win you should take one of them and right. I'd say that Fresno State one would be a, a good one judging that you're going to be facing you know more on uh, your own talent level if not better talent you have you you have better talent um you know overall up and down the roster than Fresno State does, unlike, you know, the guys up in Washington. Certainly. And I and I honestly think, you know, uh, just based on um, the, the way that non-conference shakes out, TJ, like, you know, I Oregon State could go and beat Boise State in week one. And, you know, it would be impressive to me, but I really think we're going to find out a lot about this team based on how they do in Fresno in week two. Because yeah. it's a like – you know, I think the first game in research, I think they'll play well. You know, it's a, you know, new stadium coming together. Fans are going to be even more out after, you know, you had some that were like, hey, we're going to go back. Like, it should be full, you know, fans, full crowds, all those kind of mm-hmm. things for the first time, you know, out here out west and people feeling real comfortable with all that. It's that Fresno State game that I think you're going to learn a lot about this football team because you're going into – what is, you know, I think a really hostile environment for a, a, a Mountain West team. They have, you know, one of the better home field advantages of a mid-major, you know, mid-major, I guess, is, is what you'd call Fresno State of sorts. Group of five. In, in basketball terms, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, group of five. Um, 
but yeah, no. And then as you alluded to, uh, sneaky rehire in the offseason, bring back Jeff Tedford, who yeah. Pac-12 fans know very well. Um, you know, Jeff Tedford, obviously long time, long time uh, Cal head coach. And this is now his second stint at Fresno. And you know he's going to have, uh, you know, those guys ready to go for, you know, those chances against Pac-12 teams. So mm-hmm. we'll obviously be um, talking about each game uh, weekly as we kind of get into it. And TJ and I will be doing a, a weekly podcast. We'll also be bringing on uh, Beaver's Edge recruiting analyst, uh, Dylan Callaghan Crowley also uh, at, at some various junctures to get his take on recruiting and uh, obviously get his predictions as well. But circling back to fall camp so we can put a bow tie uh, back on that. Uh, there's a couple position group battles that we're obviously still watching. TJ, we're only, let's see, uh, 10-ish days from the start of the season. Oregon yeah, State still has a starting exactly quarterback. What's yeah, up with I that? Know. It's uh, honestly the – it doesn't seem like a secret much longer. The coaching staff still keeps it under wraps. And if they surprise right. us, uh, well, I think we, me and you both will be extremely surprised, but it's, it's going to be chance stolen. I mean, he, he's taken about 95% of the first team reps from day one of fall camp on. I mean, he, yeah. he got that right away and played it through. He might not have the best tools. I mean, I think Ben Goldbranson, as we keep saying, has, you know, the best arm, his better legs yeah. too. Um, you know, better overall athlete. He's a little bigger than Chance as well. But it just have a really hard time it, thinking that it would be Chance. I mean, they, they continue yeah. like, you know, Jonathan, after the, the scrimmage, as you guys uh, listen to his video, uh, his interview on Saturday, he's like, you know, we're going to go look at the tape. We'll, you know, look at it really closely and such. And it's like, yeah, okay. But like they keep putting Chance out there with the first team. So I have a, right. I have a hard time seeing him not um, – not uh, starting with the first team. Ben Goldbranson, I think, will back up. Uh, again, I think his tools are just too good to, to bury third on the depth chart. He throws well on the run. He's got the best deep ball. Uh, maybe not yeah. accuracy-wise, not quite yet. No one was really hitting the deep ball. I know that was a big concern on the message board. Um, but <laughs> yes, I think sir. they're going to need some more time to work that out. Uh, and may, Maybe in the last week they've gotten some, some better shots at that. While we were there, though, they did struggle a lot hitting passes down the field. Uh, you could probably count on one hand, I think, how many they completed beyond maybe 35, 40 yards. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, Goldbranson definitely, you know, his best arm, his legs are really good. He could beat linebackers around the corner uh, from that from the pocket, flushed yeah. out of the pocket. He can beat some linebackers around the corner and scoot up. I've field. seen, him, seen him do it. Yeah, hey, I mean, it, we've seen him do that multiple times in practice. He can, he can absolutely do it in games. And I think that's a really valuable asset to have. Chance has good – obviously has good legs too. We've seen that. Uh, Goldbranson, you know, with the bigger build, maybe can be a little bit more physical of a runner. He doesn't get – Yeah. not have to get hit in camp. But once the pads go on and the, the lights turn on and the game starts, maybe they will have him lower a shoulder a time or two and maybe run a quarterback draw or something. Um, so that would be interesting. That they, I think Tristan Jebby is going to be third on the depth chart. I could be wrong. Uh, he's had some good moments in camp, but I, I just don't think he's had quite as much to offer as, as Goldbranson does. And Goldbranson with another fall camp under his belt, uh, looking right. at pretty decent uh, command of the offense. You know, I would say production-wise in total, Jebbia and Goldbranson are close. But, you know, I think that the coaching staff might lean with the tools of Goldbranson uh, over yeah. Tristan Jebbia. Yeah, I have some thoughts on the quarterback competition uh, itself. But real quick, uh, I'm just curious. In your opinion, TJ, do you think that it would be wise to make Ben Goldbrinson the backup so he doesn't potentially look elsewhere? Uh, yes, 
Uh, I think so. Because so, what's Chance's eligibility at? I forget. So Chance is Redshirt Junior. Redshirt Junior. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. I mean, if we 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 can even look back to last year. I mean, the starting quarterback that was named lasted a half, <laughs> one half. I don't think. Very uh, true. I, I don't think Chance is only going to last a half as starting quarterback, judging that he started all other 11 games right. last year. So that um, – It's just an intriguing that one, thing. Yeah, that it, was... it, it is an intriguing it, – it is an intriguing thing. And, you know, I think Ben has some time. I feel like you've, like, put maybe one more season, full season in and then maybe yeah. – then maybe think about that. Uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily think he would be uh, in, in a total, total rush to do that. Because, um, right. again, Chance had some things from last year that he needed to work on. Like, the coaches said it, like, yeah. multiple times, how many things Chance needed to work on. And, you know, they, they liked his performance in camp. And, again, we think he's going to be the starter. But I'm, I'm not totally sure he has, you know, mastered all these things. You right. know, and the coaching staff doesn't see what they want to from him. Yeah. And the offense is struggling and the, the ball's not going farther than 10 yards down the field. You know, you have this big, ar- big armed redshirt freshman kid with great legs, you know, right. sitting on the bench. And if you're really struggling, that can't hurt to have him uh, as a backup. So, yeah. you know, that, that is an interesting thought. Um, uh, if, if that was main, main, the main concern on their mind, then absolutely, yes, I would do that. Yeah, it's definitely something that's interesting because, you know, I, I I look at this quarterback competition, you know, through, you know, obviously your practice reports and what I was able to see with my own eyes during the scrimmage. And, you know, it's not to say that I don't think Tristan Jevia could win you games. I just don't think he's the best quarterback on this roster. I'm not sure he's even, you know, the top two necessarily. And that's that that's just my opinion from what I've been able to see. I mean, the scrimmage that we did see, you know, he struggled, TJ, and it, and it wasn't really, you know, a secret that he struggled. And, you know, mm-hmm. he could have obviously come back, and I think he brings a lot of experience. I mean, you're talking about a multi-year captain. He's, he's loved in the locker room, right? He, he is a glue guy. But I think we saw last year the coaching staff was, you know, not afraid to, you know, put the best guy out there. And, you know, as I kind of look at how the, you know, quarterback recruiting is shaking out and everything else, I, I look at it as, you know, Chance Nolan is, you know, the guy who, you know, took you to a bowl game last year and, you know, won you a handful of games. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm factoring this into my answer, TJ, maybe mm-hmm. more so than any other player that I've seen in covering my eight years of Oregon State football, 14, seven, seven years, uh, whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> That's is, a long time. Chance Nolan is a different player in the game than what he shows you in practice. There are guys who are gamers and I really think he's one of those guys who it's not to say that like, he's not doing it all at practice. I just think he has like that extra gear that kind of kicks in during games. And he's kind of got like that gamer mentality. And that's where I think last year heading into the season with him and Sam Noyer, maybe Sam Noyer looked better in fall camp which he did you know which he did I'm, yeah he absolutely like, did like you know don't, don't blame the messenger folks like it was me it was just about everybody that was like you know sam moore looks like the guy chance was struggling a little bit and then you put those guys in the game right and you see how they do you know with their feet in the fire and you know i think that is you know a factor that i think will will loom large and i think something that even helps out jebby to an extent is the fact that they've mm-hmm. been there and got it but you know, the, the case with Jebby is I think, I think if I had to guess Oregon state is probably where his playing career ends. 
uh, regardless of what happens. And when you've got, as we mentioned, Ben Goldbrinson, who's been in the system for a few years now, you've got Travis Throckmorton, who came in as, you know, obviously this year as a true freshman who, you know, might have the biggest arm. I mean, he's, he's close with Goldbranson. Mm-hmm. He's got some nice tools. He needs some time to develop as Goldbranson. Yeah. Did, obviously. Him, him and Montiel both look like true freshmen during camp. For sure. But again, Travis had some, you know, he was a pretty touted recruit. And then I think of, you know, who the Oregon state's got coming in uh, in the 2023 class. So, you know, the quarterback is always kind of a year by year thing, but just as I see it, I think Chance Nolan is still Oregon State's, you know, best option, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, your your assessment of how the quarterback, um, you know, depth chart shakes out is pretty much mine. I, I think that's that's ultimately what's going to happen. And whether or not it's next week, or you know, t- uh, you know, maybe Jonathan Smith surprises us on Friday, TJ. You never know. Yeah, uh, yeah, we might, we don't know. I think Friday or. Monday when they release the depth yeah. chart, we'll, we'll know. So yeah, I, I think we'll get a good idea of that. And uh, I'll just one more thing to add on. Sure. In like in conclusion, if the Beavers are going to hit their ceiling, I, I do think we need to see more out of Chance Nolan. I absolutely Agreed. do. I don't. I don't think they're going to get there with just the running game. And and you know they'll play better defense. I think with with Trent Bray as they did uh, over the, the the second half the the last four games of last year, but. They're going to need more out of a quarterback. They might need Chance Nolan to go win them a game. Like, yeah, no, and- straight up go win them from 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 kickoff to to the 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 buzzer hitting zero. I mean, you you to to be a good team like that, you need your quarter. Right. You'll need your quarterback good enough to go win you a game like that. And you know, think back to you know the most recent successful seasons in school history, and you know they they had those guys. I mean, you go back to the last time Oregon State was good. You had Sean Mannion, right? That guy could go win you a game, right? Kind of a thing. You know, before that, you you know you had uh, you know Matt Moore, you had you know so on and so forth. There's always been kind of that gamer whenever Oregon under center, whenever Oregon State's had their really good years. You know, Miss Law Moivo in there as well. Um, so, and then you look at the years maybe where it wasn't quite so good. Um, they didn't have a lot of consistency or the quarterback, you know, was, you know, not necessarily healthy the whole year or a whole bunch of other factors. So I agree with you. And I think more than anything, they're going to have to get that vertical passing game going. You know, I think the running game is going to be what it was last year. Uh, the big guys up front TJ, I mean, has there been Mm -hmm. a more consistent group all fall camp? Uh, Jim Mahalchek's five up there other than uh, having Tyler Morano uh, in there for Talese Fuaga early on it's been very consistent yeah it has been really consistent uh, uh, personally I think it's a little hard to grade offensive line during fall camp I didn't include them much in the nuggets it's just you know I, I don't have film to break down offensive linemen I'm not replaying you know right. running set running sets running plays back in my head so you know it, it's a little hard to evaluate but you know they're very healthy uh, it's a deep group. They're all very confident that multiple guys can play in multiple positions. I wasn't yeah. personally too impressed with the amount of running room they were generating, but I, I would like to credit that a little bit to the improvement along the defensive line and the scheme of Trent Bray. So we'll give them a pass for that uh, for now. I, I think we'll get a, a, a much better look at really how good they are when they get, you know, 40, maybe 35, 40 runs in against uh, Boise State uh, and evaluate that group. And it's, I think, it's the same thing with the running back group. I mean, this running back group, is is yeah. deep deep and they're you know that offensive line is gonna whoever they're blocking for if they're gonna block for Damian Martinez or Deshaun Fenwick or Jam Griffin uh, or even Trey Lowe I mean all four of those guys have been on the first team during fall camp so uh, you know they're gonna have a good guy back there to to block for I think 
Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. I, I don't think we'll really – I think there'll be a lot of oars on that part of the depth chart. You know, I think each guy has kind of shown something, but kind of like last year when we were like, you know, is B.J. Baylor going to be – you kind of just got to see and see how those mm-hmm. guys, you know, get out there with the ball in their hands and whatnot. Uh, if there's a position I'm not worried about, it's that because there is there's, you know, depth up and down. But uh, just to kind of, you know, wrap up kind of the podcast a little bit, let's kind of move over to the defense and kind of give our thoughts on that. Uh, you know, for the most part, you know, the defense, I think, won fall camp, essentially, you know, from start mm-hmm. to finish. You know, obviously the offense found their rhythm a little bit later, but I really like what we saw from Trent Bray. Aggression seemed to be kind of the, the theme. And, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, it's it's one of those things where we've talked about it a lot. Now we have to see when the rubber meets the pavement, you know. Yeah, I, I really want to see the matchup with another team. And, we, you know, we saw – a little yeah. bit of it last year. He he can't do his full install midseason. So, right. you know, he can add a thing or two here or there, you know, shift a guy over, put another guy down on the on the line, put his hand in the turf. But, you know, now he's got a full camp of install. Okay, so what is this scheme, like, really about? You know, are they going to be too aggressive, right? I remember my freshman year at ASU. I forget who the defensive coordinator was. But, you know, they had a tendency for, you know, being as aggressive as humanly possible. You know, they'd get some sacks, they'd get some pick yeah. sixes, but then they would also, uh, I think they led the entire nation in passes allowed at 50 yards or more because they were so aggressive that guys would be wide open. Right. So uh, I'm wondering, you know, I think I've asked Trent Bray about this before and you said, you know, it is a balance uh, of making sure guys are in their right spots. And uh, as far as we saw during fall camp, guys were absolutely in the right spots. I mean, that defense looked mighty impressive. The secondary guys were, you know, hanging right onto the hip of receivers, the, the, the defensive line was getting plenty of pressure on the quarterback. You know, Ben Goldbranson, Nolan, they're all scrambling, you know, yeah. out to their left, out to their right, trying to, trying to get free. Uh, so that, that'll be good. It'll be interesting to see. I, I, I want to see how much pressure they're able to generate because if you have a good pass rush and you generate a lot of pressure and you force the quarterback out of the pocket and make mistakes. And, you know, they did that to the Oregon state quarterbacks here in fall camp and chance right. Nolan, Ben Goldbranson, and Tristan Jebbia all threw interceptions because there were too much pressure in their face and they were forced to throw something they didn't want to throw. Uh, right. and the defense took advantage of it. And that DB group is impressed too, to take advantage of those mistakes. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, you, you hit on some good points there with, with Trent Bray and some other things, um, you know, kind of, kind of getting in with the defense, but I'm kind of curious, you know, from your perspective, what's that defensive line been like? Because, you know, you look at the secondary, as you mentioned, I really like, you know, so far how, um, you know, there's a lot of depth there. There's a lot of talent there. We're still waiting to see how the kind of rotation shakes out. But mm-hmm. there's one thing I saw, you know, in your reports and whatnot, which is very physical play. I really like what the secondary is bringing. We obviously need to see how they match up. But that's not particularly the area I'm concerned about. It's still just as it has been for many years. We alluded to it at the top of this podcast. Oregon State's defensive line has not really performed 10 years. Give or take. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been, you know, probably 2012 was the last time you could say, man, they, they had some dudes on that defensive line. You know, Scott Crichton, Dylan Wynn, some others. So I guess my question is, do you think well, what we've seen, you know, they finally have some more depth. I like what we're seeing. Um, give me your thoughts on the defensive line. I, I think they're moving in the right direction. Yeah, and the loss of Ryan Frankie at outside linebacker, you know, helping mm. out that pass rush, That that's big. Um, but otherwise, you know, it, it did seem like they got some good push, mostly on the starters. We saw Simon Sandberg, saw Joe Golden. Um, we saw James Rawls there on the starting, uh, you know, the, the top of the depth chart as well. 
you know, we saw Chatfield get some reps with the yeah. first team. We saw our final practice, or was it the scrimmage or the final practice? I can't remember. Um, but M- Matthias Malachi Donaldson yeah. was on the was was on the first team. Was that that was a scrimmage, wasn't it? I think we did see him on the scrimmage a little bit. It was yeah, a yeah. scrimmage. Yeah, he was a, he was playing on the first team, and he got a and you know he got a um, he he had a, a forced fumble and a fumble recovery right. on the on the first team defensive line. You know, this three star kid coming in from your latest recruiting class, they threw him on the defensive line. He right. his brief snaps, Big. he made some plays as well. So. You know, it, it is, you know, you might have to rely on a young guy or two if they're able to provide that spark. But, um, oh, and Isaac Hodgins coming back, too. Right, that's a, that's a big one as well. He made some plays uh, when he came back healthy. So that'll uh, that'll be something to see. Again, they, they impressed against the, the offense. You know, they were able to get pressure. They, they did what they needed, you know, flushing the, flushing the quarterback out of the pocket and such, setting it up for the linebackers. And a new linebacking core, or half a new linebacking right. core, uh, for this year with Avery Roberts leaving. Um, so it, it, it will be something to see. I want to see how they match up against Boise state. Cause you know, they got it. They got to get some pressure. They can't, they can't, you know, just let the guy sit back there and go untouched for, you know, 60, 70 snaps. If, uh, if that's what the case is, but uh, as far as we saw in fall camp, they, they did look good, but now it's time to do it uh, when, when it matters. No doubt. And again, September 3rd, 7 30 PM research stadium. Oh, it's going to be a late night. Research. Half of Research Stadium, I should say, and TJ is absolutely right. As it will be a late night, but you know, I I don't mind those late nights in September, especially when it's still like really nice outside. I mind uh-huh. those late nights in like you know November when it's like you know dark at four o'clock, you know, or whatever. That yeah, dark dark tougher. at four o'clock. You leave the press box at like one in the morning, and it's about twenty <laughs> degrees outside and yep. pouring rain, and you're just miserable. And you have to drive all the way back to Portland, so. Yeah, so it can like, definitely uh, be it can be a bit of a haul, but like I said, normally it's it's not too it's not too bad early on. So it's, it's those those later ones where maybe drags a little bit, but so no, I'm excited Brendan, to be down and yeah, I was gonna say so while we were we were there, we got to see what the press box setup is gonna look yeah. like too, right? And you guys are gonna be stuck in a uh in a nice <laughs> sh- essentially shipping container there, uh yeah. sitting on what will be eventually Beaver Street. Uh yeah. instead the media will occupy Beaver Street for the first uh first season of, of the new side. So that'll be um, uh, interesting to see. I hope they have heat for you guys. Man, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Right. I mean, like they, they look, excited. they look, they look pretty bare bones, but at least yeah, they had like, like they had fake marble in there. Yeah. We're going to need like, you know, like just give me, just give me internet. That's all, all I need. Consistent, yeah. reliable internet, which I know I'm come to say, you know, can be a little tougher sometimes, but no, I'm super excited to be able to get to the stadium. Super excited to see, you know, Beaver nation back out in full force and, you know, it should be a pretty, you know, it's going to be an interesting environment having everybody packed into just that one kind of half of a U of the stadium. So mm-hmm. it's going to be exciting. TJ and I will obviously be back with another edition of the podcast uh, next week, TBD on the day, but we'll be previewing uh, Boise State talking about, you know, the depth chart. We'll know who the, I would assume we'll know who the starting quarterback is by then. So we'll definitely dive into all that. And again, we uh, will definitely bring on uh, Dylan, our recruiting analyst as well. If he's got any um, late breaking uh, recruiting stuff as Jonathan Smith and his staff continue to make some waves uh, on the recruiting trail, good times uh, definitely in Corvallis. So, That'll go ahead and wrap up uh, this edition of the podcast. Big thanks to TJ Matthewson for joining me on the pod. It was definitely a lot of fun. The first of many to come. Uh, We'll be back next week uh, previewing the Boise State game. So keep it locked to beaversedge.com.